When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will be inspired to use their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and it's always great to be back with all of you. I wanted to take a quick minute to say thank you to so many of our listeners who have been reaching out to me with feedback on the inspiration they're getting from the show each week. Um, It means so much to me to know that the stories we're sharing are resonating with so many of you, and I hope you'll continue to share your stories with me. With me in just a moment will be Camille John, and Camille is the head of underrepresented ethnic talent strategy at Bank of America, and Camille is joining us from Maryland this evening. If you're interested in learning more about the show and how to become a member of our watch team, feel free to email laura at womentowatch.net. That's laura, L-A-U-R-A, at womentowatch.net, the number two. And be sure to visit us at womentowatch.net and sign up for our newsletter and download the podcast. Um, If you're a listener of podcasts, we're on all the major platforms, so if you can't Tune into the live show. Um, It's a great way to hear these stories. So now I'm honored and thrilled to welcome to the show, Camille John. Camille, thanks so much for being with me tonight. Thank you so much for the invitation, Susan. I'm really excited to have this conversation. You know, I wanted to start off with a quote because in my research um, on you, there was something that you said, I think really kind of encapsulates um, a little bit of your story. You wrote, I am a collection of stories, a first generation American reared in a Caribbean household. I am the wife of a police officer. I am someone who has had to negotiate my blackness and womanhood 
to fit a biracial corporate environment where I am not in the majority. Tell me, tell me what you um, think these, this collection of stories of your life have added to the current role you have with Bank of America. Sure. Um, and when we think about being in a multiracial environment in the context, I think it's really understanding that you got to lean in and, and know that there, we're really the sum of all of our experiences, which, you know, that's not a new quote, right? But when you think about each experience, each story kind of informing who you are, and it really speaks to the fact that, and I, ident- I identify as a black woman, um, that's not, I'm not a monolith. I'm not part of a monolith, right? We're a tapestry as people of color of having just different experiences. Um, and I just wanted to um, put that out. And actually, this was part of a article that I wrote for um, just a reflection. There's a lot of dichotomies of kind of being in a Caribbean background, being the wife of a police officer. And when I think about negotiating my blackness in that corporate construct, it's just constantly figuring out how to lean in. And the first is, you know, making sure that I have set myself up with the psychological safety necessary um, for me to be able to soar within these organizations that, you know, early on didn't really affirm who I was as a person. And so we've been, um, we, we have a really strong culture of being inclusive as a company. But early on, I had to figure out what that meant for me and what I needed to do to really lean into who I was. And so you're constantly um, shifting. You know, you're constantly switching. You're constantly address, adjusting um, with all of these different competencies to be able to just negotiate moving between all of these different Camille's that show up for, for different people, right? I'm still the same one authentic person, but just depending on what slice of the story that you, you that you take from or a slice of me that you take from, then you see kind of a different aspect or element of who I am. Mm. I, I understand, you know, your younger years were challenging because you felt um, you didn't quite fit in. I was curious if you shared those feelings with anyone at that time. No, because I I didn't understand it, right? You're you're I have um, Caribbean parents, so my parents are from the islands of Trinidad and Tobago, the Twin Islands, um, right above Venezuela. And frankly, they had never raised American children. They were recent um, recently migrated into the country, and now you're raising Caribbean children with caribbean ideals in the u.s right so they're american children that you're kind of using your background with and i don't think i knew it at that point to even articulate it to my parents per se i didn't want to bother them they were working hard you know to make sure that they had food on the table that they were keeping us safe and healthy and so it was just you kind of again similar to what i said in those stories really navigating through being at school and maybe being teased because if my mom made a dish, um, you know, that was from our culture and you brought it to school, kids would kind of tease you. So you, you, the things I would tell them is, hey, can you next time you have to bring me a lunch, can you bring me a McDonald's or can we just pack sandwiches? <laughs> so you just found things that, you know, would help you kind of lean in and not stick out. Whatever right. you needed to do to really not stick out at that time, I think that's what you chose. And so we had to kind of figure it out together. Them as, you know, new parents and 
in the U.S. really background and us really trying to figure out how do we do this without sticking out like a sore thumb. Because you're right. just trying to survive school, right? Yeah. And what a shame when I think about kids. I think, you know, your difference and what you brought to perhaps your classroom and your school is what makes you so much more interesting. Um, and I think, you know, it's probably as old as time where kids are trying to all be the same when what we really want them to do is embrace the differences. And 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 that is more interesting. Mm-hmm. It you really know, is. And yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, tell, ask, uh, tell me how much your parents' careers, they both were um, medical professionals. How much did their careers impact your own pursuit of education and the career path you chose? Sure. So my father was a dentist. He had um, small practice in, in the Washington, D.C. area. And my mom was a neonatal nurse um, at Howard University Hospital for over 30 years. And so when I think of like, not just them, but our immediate family, it was either in education, um, healthcare, and then we had several that were in the construction industry. Um, there were others, but when you think of the majority, they were in these kind of different industries. And so I thought I was going to either do law or, or be a physician. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually went to Howard with the intention of going to medical school. So I majored in clinical science and I've always been really healthcare minded, right? Um, just when we think about using herbs for healing and things like that, I mean, that's just our go-to. Um, but as I was going through Howard and I, it wasn't an issue with my grades or anything, I just realized by the time I got to my rotations in the hospital, I didn't love it. And more so than not loving it, I didn't really even like it, right? I, I, it wasn't a matter of the science. Um, I, I loved learning, so the, the body was interesting. I think it was just the healthcare construct that I was learning in at the time, number one, and I felt like there was something different for me. And so I remember having this conversation with my advisor and then you know talking to my father that, hey, I need to change. Like this, this, it's time for a little bit of a change. But I was so far, like right about to graduate, that you know we all decided I'd still finish. Um, I still got board certified and worked in the field for a while. And it worked out because it allowed me to pay for graduate school. And that's when I made a shift and pivot um, into the business world. And so I think for my family, they were, they just couldn't advise me. It was like, we don't know anybody that's gone into business in this way. Um, so, you know, we want you to be successful and happy, do what you will. But, you know, at the end of the day, they wanted to make sure that I could work and contribute and be, get to the point where I could take care of myself. And so that's, I think, where they're coming from in terms of any concerns. But it was an important part and of, of my development. And to be honest, when I think about all of the roles that I've had in corporate America, several of them have either been with mission-focused part of the organization. So mm-hmm. at the bank, I formerly worked in healthcare education and not-for-profit institutions part of the business, so supporting a mission-focused business. Um, when I think about my role now um, in, in diversity and inclusion, um, there's definitely a lot of mission focus there around people and particularly around um, black and Hispanic, Latino, um, and broad uh, people of color focus. So that's the thread I think I've always brought through in terms of having a level of social consciousness um, from from end to end, as well as that mission focus that I was able to bring and thread across wherever I've gone. 
Right. And, and that, you know, pa having parents in, a, in the medical field, um, obviously all of their work is, is um, you know, helping people. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Another a pivotal moment for you actually occurred in elementary school and your principal um, came to you and said, you have way better capabilities than the grades that are on your report card. I expect more from you. What was it about his words that resonated with you so deeply at that moment? Sure. So I've always been a bit of a serious child. You know, my mom and I were reflecting about this the other day, even in kind of preparation for this conversation. She corrected me on a couple of things, and that's, I guess I'm grateful to have my mom still around and having, you know, sharp memory to, to let me know how things really were from her perspective. Right, but, right. But, you know, when you're kind of going going up to middle school, frankly, I was getting caught up, tr again, trying to fit in, um, <clears throat> trying to not be at the, I guess, the bottom of the rung in terms of getting teased. And really what it is, is I was just a different child in terms of, what I what my interests were, I wanted to dress like Blossom, you know, coming mm. up in school. So she was very quirky, always had just different kinds of outfits. That wasn't the the norm for children my age, or at least what was the decided norm, right, for the collective. And so you got teased about that, you know, being different, um, your your parents having an accent, whatever it is. That's just what you do your kids were doing around that time. And so while I was always an above average student, I got to the point where my grades were slumping and I was average. And so um, I, w I wasn't able to concentrate and I wasn't super focused. And I remember getting this report card. I remember vividly walking out from school and kind of looking at it like, mm, okay, you know, C's. And for some reason, I, I must have been numb because it didn't bother me that much. But my principal literally stopped me. I remember his name was Mr. Mineman. And he said, I'm surprised. Let me see this. I'm really surprised at you. And I know you can do better than this. Like, I'm expecting more from you. What's, what's going on? And that really actually awoke something in me. And I just decided, you know what? I, I need to focus. Like, this principal has called me out. He's yeah. told me he expects more. <laughs> and yeah. I think it's different than your parents even telling you what they expect. Right? Yes. They already drive hard. So you can put that noise kind of block it out, but it's different when you have somebody else that's kind of holding you accountable to you being great, right? Mm -hmm. And telling mm -hmm. you, I see this brilliance in you. You may not recognize it, but I ex fully expect you to lean into it and take advantage of it and, and jump out there. And so I, I had to really buckle down and focus. And so by the time I graduated from middle school, going into high school, I was the salutatorian, which was great. Um, looking back and um it's just something that i've continued to keep in mind wherever i can to bring a high level of excellence into all that i do yeah i think it's so great that your principal recognized this capability in you because it's not always the case that you know a principal is in charge of the whole school and every kid but you know he must have saw something in you specifically um, that knew, knew you weren't living up to your potential. So, you know, kudos to him for, for pulling you mm -hmm. aside and sharing that with you. Listen, uh, we're going to go into our first break. Stay with us for our watch team. And I'm talking to Camille John this evening, the head of underrepresented ethnic talent strategy at Bank of America. We'll be right back. Now the women to watch health watch. 
For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. On several occasions, I've discussed the importance of screening for colon cancer. It's very common and probably the most preventable of the life-threatening cancers. Let's put it this way. Mammograms detect early cancer. Low-level radiation CAT scans look for early lung cancer. But colonoscopy finds and removes precancer. Isn't that fantastic? Put another way, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. One in three people over 50, one in two people over 60 will get colon polyps. Not all polyps become cancer, but all colon cancer begins as a polyp. In fact, more people die of colon cancer than from breast cancer. That's why I'm so insistent about being screened for colon cancer. Recently, the beloved film actor Chadwick Boseman, he played Jackie Robinson, James Brown, Black Panther, was only 43 when he lost his battle with colon cancer. African Americans are 20% more likely to be diagnosed with colon cancer and 40% more likely to die from colon cancer. Emerging data show a notable rise in colon cancer in people under age 40. For these reasons, in 2018, the American Cancer Society lowered the recommended age to start screening for colon cancer from 50 to 45 for people of average risk. Great news, this past week on October 27, another major organization did the same. The U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, that's a panel of national experts who make recommendations for disease prevention. If their initial recommendation is finalized, then under law, screening for colon cancer could be covered by most private insurance plans with no copay for ages 45 to 75. That could save thousands of lives. And when COVID came to the U.S., many elective services were shut down. The American Cancer Society estimates between March and early June of this year, up to 18,000 cases of colon cancer were missed or delayed. So Divas, schedule all your screenings, including for colon cancer. It could save your life. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry, and I'm from Fortis Wealth. In addition to wreaking havoc on the economy at large, the pandemic has had sudden and significant repercussions for how to approach financial planning. Many households have experienced income reductions and have depleted their cash reserves, illustrating the importance of emergency funds. This isn't limited to lower-income households. In a Pew survey, more than half of middle-income families and 25% of upper-income households said they didn't have three months' worth of reserves. We encourage you to set a goal for your emergency fund and start saving, no matter how small the amount. The recovery in the stock market and the growth in retirement account balances has prompted some to consider early retirement. But working even a few years longer than the traditional retirement age of 65 can be very beneficial to long-term financial health. Here are some of the concerns. Early retirement eliminates future retirement plan contributions, compounding, and tax deferral. Withdrawals over a longer time frame can force a lower withdrawal rate or reduce the probability that funds will last over a lifetime. Filing for Social Security early can result in reduced benefits over a lifetime, and health care expenses may have to be covered personally by those not yet Medicare eligible. Very low bond yields affect how much retirees can earn from their safe investments, and they're also predictive of future bond returns. Current bond yields suggest that investors will barely break even, assuming even modest rates of inflation. 
And finally, healthcare spending in retirement remains an important consideration. Morningstar research indicates that spending typically is higher early in retirement, tapers off, and then trends up in later years. Those later costs include uninsured long-term care expenses and prescription drugs, among others. This helps to make the case for saving in a tax-favored health savings account if possible. While the COVID-19 crisis has brought these topics to the forefront, their importance is likely to persist post-pandemic as well. Please work with your financial advisor to address how they will impact your long-term financial health. This is Terry. Peace out. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Camille John this evening, and Camille is the head of underrepresented ethnic talent strategy. And I guess I could say that's under the umbrella of diversity and inclusion enterprise. Is that right, Camille? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Within our global diversity and inclusion organization at Bank of America. Great. Um, One of the things, you know, still kind of focusing on your upbringing and trying to connect the dots. I understand you were raised um, with Seventh-day Adventist Christian principles. Is faith still a big part of your life today? It is. Um, I don't think that's something that really leaves you, Um, but I have not been in a kind of congregation, if you will, for some time. The piece I, I learned kind of coming up or what I've learned since then and, and know for sure is you have to have a real personal connection with whatever power you believe in, right? And I definitely um, make sure that I am focused in that way and connected in that way. And so making sure that I am really looking at faith, right? And faith is really about walking with a sense of belief and expectancy that things are going to happen. And that was something early on that I missed (laughs) in church. I didn't get that piece, right? We talked a lot in in our church upbringing around, you know, turbulent times, which we're seeing now, and really expecting those turbulent times um, in the second coming. But I didn't take up the faith message, I think, until I became old enough and had experiences that tested my faith and let me know whether I had enough, right? Because you're only supposed to have a mustard seed worth. So I still have those principles and those beliefs, but I think um, it's really more so about making sure that I am co-creating what my life is supposed to look like. And I'm staying true to the ideals that I was raised with, not just um, in the religious, the religion piece and spiritual, having a spiritual life, but also when you think about um, earlier when we talked about healthcare, I'm a healer as well. So every part of me I bring forward in terms of thinking about my my experience and then reminding myself that we're spiritual people, we're souls that are having human experiences. And so we have to really keep that in mind because it's really hard to balance that sometimes when you're in the midst of, you know, trials or just trying to manage work or whatever you um you have to try to to lead with. But Mm -hmm. I'm glad to have had the experience. I'm glad my parents made sure we had that that grounding. And so it's definitely still a part of me. Yeah. You know, you you mentioned your um, husband is a police officer. And, you know, talk Mm -hmm. about challenging times and, you know, 
here in Philadelphia, things have not been good this week. And I wondered if you could just share some insights from his own experience that might kind of enlighten our listeners in in light of some of the things that we're seeing on the news. Sure. So to me, I think I first want to make sure we know that we're really in the midst of what is really a humanitarian crisis. And I think that involves many different intersections of people. So definitely the focus um, lately has been on black people. Um, you know, we, we broaden and thinking about the impact for people of color. But then you have an intersection just depending on your vocation. And for my husband, having that piece of being blue, right, as a police officer, I think it's just a constant challenge um, in terms of balance for him because um, he knew from childhood he wanted to be a police officer. So this is something he chose. Um, it wasn't just a job. I need a job. Let me go train. He he has a degree in criminal justice. He's always been focused on the community. And so I think he came up with that level of ideal and making sure that he could be engaged in the community and, and protect and serve. Those are still ideals he very much um, holds true to today. I think the reality, though, for him sometimes has been tough because you're constantly balancing that line of being, um, you know, black and being blue. And so when I say that, you know, when we started to see some of the police shootings way before this year, um, I remember him always saying, Camille, you're, you don't understand, right? You, you, by the time the, the camera's on, we don't know what kind of led up to this moment. So it created um, some disconnection between the two of us. We'd have some interesting conversations at home. and. You know, I didn't feel like he was getting it. And I, I wanted him to remember that when you don't have your badge on, you're not in your police off car, people just see you as a black man first. Do you not think that that's, um, you know, contributing to this that part of the experience? Um, and so I think first he had to continue rationalizing that with the fact that he has always had respect for anyone um, and really acknowledging that that's not the case across the board. Um, the rules are also different from organization to organization or, or department to department. And so he started learning that some of the um, rules and laws that he was held to standard to within his um, police department was way different than what he was seeing across the country in that research. And then when we got back to June, he was just like, this is going to make my job so much harder. Um, mm -hmm. He actually now um, does advanced police officer training. He works with grand juries on cases, actually, incidentally, that um, have uh, use of force involvement. And he previously actually trained new officers that would be going onto the street. So he has a tremendous amount of experience. Um, and now he's just going, for me to be out, um, I, I feel like it makes my job harder when I'm in the community. Um, he's not patrolling anymore. I'm grateful that he doesn't have a marked car. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.